tidbit you mentioned about an evil Rufus in the original script is pretty interesting. Now I just can't. Yeah. Trying to think of what George Carlin would look like in a fat suit. There was a podcast called the Sequel Cast. They talked about movies. And they talked about something else called boobies. The Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. It's the Sequel Cast. www.sequelcast.com. Hello and welcome to the Sequel Cast. I'm your host, Uncle Milkshake. This is a podcast where every week we take a look at a movie and a franchise, one movie at a time. This time around, we're finishing up a two-film cycle of the Bill and Ted uh, series with Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. With me today, we have Thrasher. Howdy. Uh, Democulus? No, what's the guy's name? Oh, uh, no. Denomalous. Uh, Denomalous. Denomalous? No, no, no. I'm going to go by uh, Colonel Oates for this one. Okay. Colonel Oates? You're supposed to say something, Jason. I did. Colonel Oates. Okay. So, so how does Colonel Oates say hello? Drop and give me infinity. Very good. And uh, special guest, Linda Kay. She runs a website called Bill and Ted's Excellent Online Adventure, and she used to be head of the Bill and Ted fan club. How's it hanging, dudes? Pretty good. Low and lazy. <laughs> now, it is kind it's of a, a loaded question, isn't it? It is. So as everyone has a few parts that are hanging on them, so... <laughs> Uh, well, let us talk about the future. Well, before that, I have a quick question for uh, Linda. How did you get started with the Bill & Ted Fan Club? How did that all come about? Well, actually, I, I got the idea of the fan club after the animated series began, because then it became fairly obvious there was actually going to be a franchise of sorts, and plus news of the sequel had come out. And I thought, wow, there actually may be material enough to do a fan club for these guys. So that was basically it, and um, I tried to get it official for a while, but I was going through all the wrong channels, <laughs> and ended up finally it became official through the licensing company after the, the sequel came out, but you know, that's how it started. <laughs> Very cool. Now, was it like one of those fan clubs they had in the 80s and 90s where you'd mail off and pay $10 for a year and get stickers and stuff in the mail? Oh my god, you make it sound so obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I used to. I also, after that, headed the National Association of Fan Clubs. So yeah, that was pretty much what I did. Oh wow! And that was yeah. That's exactly what it was. You get we got like a membership card, and a magnet, and a bumper sticker that said Bill and Ted: The Party on Party or something for I think it was 1988 <laughs> election or something. I don't know. We're just all kinds of crazy things. No, 92, 90 or 92. That's what. It oh was. wow! Yeah. Then we had T-shirts and all sorts of most excellent stuff. And then I, I bring that party stuff. back. Hmm? Bring that party back. Well, that would be a great name for Bill and Ted. Bill and Ted's excellent convention: the party on party. Should have happened, man. Has there ever well, been actually, a, uh... on your site, I saw some pictures of you at con. There, there are Bill and Ted conventions, correct? No. No. no, we actually no. There, the problem is the fan base is is kind of on the smaller side. I mean, Keanu's fan base is huge, but Bill and Ted a little more eclectic, and they're spread out all over the world. I mean, we had members from Japan, Australia, Germany, England, just all over the place. So 
we we sort of did things like TimeCon, which was a generalized science fiction convention. That was fun, though, because a lot of people didn't know what to make of us when some guy would walk by dressed as a Klingon, and I'd say, hey, how's it going, bumpy-headed dude? They don't really <laughs> like that. <laughs> <laughs> they would challenge you to a duel of honor. <laughs> well, it's funny you talk about time. I was looking at this, and I was thinking to myself, how many time travel movies are there, and how many of them happen in California? When I think of time travel things, besides Bill and Ted and Back to the Future, I think of one that I can't remember the name to, starring Malcolm McDowell. Yeah, that was in San Francisco. What was that? Yeah, Time After Time? Time After Time. After time. time. Right. Mm-hmm. Written by Nicholas Meyer. Wonderful movie. Well, Every... and Somewhere in Time was also, wasn't that in California? Was that the or Christopher no. Reeve one? Or was that somewhere on the East Coast? Hmm. I mean, Hollywood is in California, so... Well, yeah. Although it's expensive okay. to film. It was filmed on location, though, wasn't it? I believe so, yeah. Some famous well, hotel this one, somewhere. I don't know. This one was done in Los Angeles. This uh, Bogus Journey was done in Los Angeles. Los Angeles. There was Terminator, which was California. Uh-huh. Um, I was trying to think. Uh, Back to the Future is California. The uh, car chase in Matrix Reloaded was done around San Francisco, or outside of San Francisco. No, that was in the Matrix reproduction of San Francisco. That wasn't the real San Francisco. Yeah, and also that's not time travel. No. <laughs> so, before we get started, I wanted... Oh, yeah, wait a minute! Star- isn't uh, Starfleet, uh, the Starfleet oh, headquarters... Yes, yes, and also Journey Home. Journey and they home travel back in time in a lot of those and Star Trek Four was in San Francisco. Uh, yep. Yes, yep. they had to get the whales to talk to the aliens in the future. Which now, now this, is be- interesting. this is interesting because I'm just trying to find out where Somewhere in Time was was filmed because I know those those fans are like mega <laughs> sticklers and they'd be upset if I said it was in California while well, it wasn't. But what is? I think it's Chicago. But what's interesting is that it was written by Chris Matheson's father, Richard Matheson. Hmm. He's written a lot of science fiction stuff on his own. Yeah. Interesting uh, little tidbit. Yeah. So, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey came out in 91. It was just distributed by Orion Pictures, which no longer exists anymore. And it was directed by Peter Hewitt, who is uh, British. And while there's no uh, British characters in this movie per se, I think the humor can be a bit more subtle. I was on uh, your Bill and Ted's excellent online adventure website, Linda. I was reading some interviews from Starlog or one of those magazines you had on there with the director, and he was pretty young at the time. I think in his mid to late twenties when he did this film. And yes, yeah, he he had done. He basically got this film on the credit of a short film he had made called The Candy Show, which had gotten a lot of notoriety at the time. And I believe Bogus Journey was his first feature film. Uh, yes, yes it was. And I love at least according to the Internet Movie Database. And the quote he had about the movie was like, if people walk out of it saying, what the hell, then I've done my job. <laughs> <laughs> he did a good job then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's uh... Definitely. This movie's twisted, but it's fun. I think it's, so, I think it's fun. Before the show, we were talking about how this is very... The sequel takes a lot of risks. You could easily... The movie begins almost as a, a parody of what you would think a sequel would be with uh, Rufus in the future getting a lot of uh, historical figures to teach a class in the future time period. But then it involves um, robots, heaven, hell, alien... Yeah, that's one thing I'm 
that's one thing I've got to applaud this movie for. It doesn't give us the same movie over again, but bigger. It does give us a completely different movie. Right, and I believe that was a, a lot. That's really specifically what everyone involved in the movie wanted to do. Both Ed and Chris and Alex and Keanu were really not interested in treading the same path again. They wanted to do something different. They envisioned Excellent Adventure being darker than it originally was. And so with Bogus Journey, they were finally able to do the wild, crazy, dark thing that they wanted to do, although, as we'll talk about, not quite as dark as they wanted to do because the censors got a hold of it before it came out, and that's a whole oh. other story. Because <laughs> the movie that came out isn't really the movie that should have come out. Well, it's more interesting because in this, I mean, they're out of high school, so they don't have to pass any tests, but they're still important to the world, even though they haven't gotten to that point where they're the great ones. Right. Well, because in the future, whatever this this event that's going to take place, which turns out to be the Battle of the Bands at the end of this movie, hasn't happened yet, but the future, of course, is aware of it. And in a direct kind of play on the idea of the Terminator, they decide to bring in this faction that comes in with Denomalos, Denomalos, Denomalos leading it, decides <coughs> to go back in time and change what's going to happen. So it doesn't happen. Well, you know what's interesting about that is, like, there's this, I guess, technically they would be terrorists with a totalitarian idea of basically, let's all wear black and be horrible. Well, um, you know, they're, they're the group that doesn't want to be excellent to each other and that doesn't want to party on. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I watched music. I watched this movie twice in preparation for for the, this podcast, and like I was really trying to decipher what is Denomalos and his group's motivation, and that's really all I could think of. They don't want to be excellent to each other, and they don't want to party on. Well, the boots in the costume, he looks like Darth Vader without his helmet on, kind of like a but, Humpty Dumpty bald man. I actually want to talk a little bit about that. <laughs> I love the clothes in this movie, because I think they were sponsored by Nerf. The future clothes. Yeah, the, the future, future clothes. I guess glow like, in the darkner. It looks yeah, like they glow. Well, like in in the first Bill and Ted, like you know the the only people, the only future clothes we see, we, we see we see Rufus's cool guy clothes. We see the simple robes, the simple but rockin' robes that that those like hovering council people are wearing, and like some people, I don't know, like, I guess when they get into the future of the first film, those people in the background who I suppose are wearing earth tones, it's kind of hard Scientists. to see since the focus is on right. Bill and Ted, but then like when, when, when Bill and Ted's bogus journey opens and we see, when we see the Bill and Ted University in the future, everybody's wearing these ridiculous toxic neon foam <laughs> rubber outfits, it's like this is, really, this is the same future? Where do they get these clothes? I, I agree. I mean, things changed radically within two years' time. And it's, these, these, like you said, these Nerf clothes, which seem totally impractical. I mean, it seems like the people can hardly even walk in them, which doesn't I know those boots, right? At all. It's like they have the ski boots. I guess that's the thing. Is like, I guess they felt like, oh, well, this is the future. We better establish that this is the future. Let's have that cool high-tech building in the background. And let's have people in the most ridiculous clothes possible, despite the fact that, like, the moment we get our first glimpse of the future, it's right there, San Dimas, California, uh, the year 2670-something. 78. Well, and they look like they're wearing outfits out of a Mega Man video game. It's, <laughs> it's, Again, it's the future. 
If you look closely, though, the clothes are, I think, they're supposed to be sort of based on Bill and Ted's clothes because they have the baseball cap cocked backwards and the and mm. Bill and Ted were wearing the huge Adidas high tops and I assume that's what the boots were supposed to represent. Well, you know, I'm it's wondering... Like is, if you had, it's like if the, you had characters at a theme park wearing the Bill and Ted clothing, that would be like, because they're exaggerated in size. Right. Well, I'm wondering, are, were those, is that the, that the school uniform? No. Well, it could be. We never see anything outside of the school, so... I mean, everybody's wearing the, the same bad guys. thing. Look at the bad guys. Look at how the bad guys dress. And they that's the right, same they're exact clothing, the same way, except, except in black. it's in dark. It's in black. Right. But also, there's something else I wanted to talk about. Rufus is older in this, and is a teacher. And I think that's maybe why he was chosen for the first mission. Because he knew enough about history, and perhaps was a scholar on the Great Ones. I like, you know what, I like to imagine that he was like a special agent for the future council triumvirate, but that after he, after he helped Bill and Ted pass their history report, he retired and then became a professor. I'll tell you something very interesting, because this, the script for this movie went through many, many incarnations, and one of the, we actually got a hold of the script, a friend of mine, and I've about four or five months before they actually started filming. Cool. And in oh. that version, the bad guy was not really ever seen. He was sort of just a shadow in the background. And you heard his voice, but you never really saw him. And at the end of the movie, at the Battle of the Bands, it was revealed that the bad guy was, in fact, Rufus. And huh. all you knew about the bad guy was he had an enormous butt. <laughs> and his explanation as to why he turned against Bill and Ted was because after the first movie, he went back to the future, and he was so famous and so popular and so loved that everybody threw him banquets. And he ate so much that... I know it sounds like I'm making this up, but I swear <laughs> to God I'm not. He <laughs> ate so much that his derriere became huge, and he resented and came to hate Bill and Ted and wanted to destroy them. That's wow. almost... how they resolved it, but this is how it was originally written, and when I sat down with Ed Solomon once and asked him about that, he still thought it was a terrific ending. Well, it, the, it, at least it's a motivation that, that makes a kind of sense and that would come across in the film. Like, mm -hmm. Denomalous really just seems to show up and be evil. Uh, any motivation he has, we kind of have to invent for ourselves. Yeah, but he was also a gym teacher. So I think that kind of shows. You know, yeah. that's what I love. I love when, like, he meets Rufus. He goes, ah, Denomalos, my old teacher. Ah, Rufus, my favorite pupil. And, like, it's, it's all, it sets up this weird, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi Darth Vader thing. But then at the <laughs> end, it's just, and that's Denomalos, my old gym teacher. <laughs> and set up champion of the 27th century or whatever. Was, yeah. 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 They, they really didn't worry about explaining things all that much, but it's, that's kind of the fun of it is, like, there is no explanation. It just is. Well, sure. In the first film, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, there isn't a villain really at all. You might consider Ted's dad kind of a bad guy, but that's more of a family conflict. Well, it's more of a drama as a threat. Yeah. Tidbit you mentioned about an evil Rufus in the original script is pretty... Interesting. Now I just can't. Yeah. Trying to think of what George Carlin would look like in a fat suit. I don't know. <laughs> well, how did you like him just as Pam Greer? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, oh, the like other twist. Kind of went the other way, I guess. Yeah. Uh. See, so, yeah, lots of twists in this. 
Um, oh, yeah. We see we see Bill and Ted in the future, but it's not Bill and Ted. The scene terrified me as a kid when I saw this on video at a friend's house. When they take the late when they take the faces off. Yeah, yeah, the evil robot Bill and Ted's peel their faces off, and you see all the robot parts. And they look like a Terminator, but with teeth, gums, and uh, eyeballs. And again, speaking about Terminator, when they go into the machine, what do they have? Black sunglasses. They travel back in time with black sunglasses. I guess it's an homage to Arnold. Well, I don't know. I think it's like because Rufus. Rufus had black sunglasses in the first film, and he would put them on whenever the, the time machine would activate. Hmm. I think it's just, you know, standard. You don't want to look directly into history unless you have protective eyewear. Well, you can tell maybe that Alex... A, maybe it was a tribute to Tom Cruise. Wait, what time travel <laughs> movie was he in? I think I think the Terminator explanation is a pretty good one, really. But you can. And tell, then of course, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say you can tell Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves are having a lot of fun playing the evil versions of Bill and Ted. Oh yeah. Even yeah, if they're they, not truly yeah. evil, they're just kind of dicks. They do some they, great they robot love, acting. They love. They love doing. They've said in many interviews that they just loved doing evil Bill and Ted. But this is why the censors kind of got a hold of the movie was. They kind of went too far, but they they also said that they actually did prefer playing real Bill and Ted because it was more depth to their characters. But the evil Bill and Ted was a blast, and when they'd come on the set, everybody kind of move a little farther away because <laughs> they knew they were just going to go crazy. Well, wasn't it something where the evil Bill was actually the evil Ted, and the evil yeah. Ted was actually the evil Bill robot, or something? They had switched. Yeah, they weren't, that's one of they the, weren't that's perfect copies. Yeah, that's one of the parts that got cut out. I'm not, I, I, I don't concept. really know why they cut that particular part out because it didn't really tie in with anything else. But it was just, I think maybe it confused people, but it was just a scene where it was when they confused. confronted Missy Mom and uh, Joanna and Elizabeth, and they said, yeah, well, we have a surprise for you, and they pull off their the whole bodies, and Evil Bill is dressed as Evil Ted, and Evil Ted is dressed as Evil Bill. <laughs> And it's just for no reason, just you know, free, and that's I think why they faint. But uh, in fact, if you look in the movie, I I I haven't really looked myself, but people have told me you can actually see their discarded bodies in the background, mm. laying on the floor when they're talking on the phone to to Bill and Ted at the Builders Emporium. Up to check that. Oh, yeah, I'm gonna watch that part again. So the bad Bill and Ted go to uh, San Dimas, California, to kill Sarah Connors. <laughs> no, they're, they're sent back in time to, to kill Bill and Ted take their place to the Battle of the Bands ruin their careers and instead of give whatever speech Bill and Ted gave at the, when they won the Battle of the Bands which changes give history. an evil speech that Denomalous had written which will change history for Denomalous yeah I guess I, I, I guess like he's just changing history so I don't know if he's, he's changing history just so that people don't have to be excellent to each other or if he's changing history to make himself in charge because, like, he, at one point in the movie, he hands the students at the university these textbooks called, uh, called like, uh, Nomalos Denomalos, the greatest man in history. So it makes me wonder, <laughs> after eliminating Bill and Ted, was he going to, like, systematically edit history to make himself the most important being in the universe? Probably. Mm. Yeah, I mean, he had some plan in mind that he was going to... It, maybe he would think that he would be the one who saved the world from Bill and Ted. I don't know. <laughs> because mm. if if he destroyed Bill and Ted back then, the people of the future would have no memory of Bill and Ted at all. So he could pretty much do whatever he wanted. And the question, of course, exists, would he exist? 
Would time travel exist? Would any of this have happened in the future? Or would you get a divergent timeline? Which would be completely different. I, I actually have some theories about that, but I'll save that for the end. Well, if you want divergent timelines, there is a, uh, a toy car you can buy from the... It's the Back to the Future car. And inside the is... A De the uh, DeLorean, yeah. right. And inside is a poster showing all the alternate timelines in that uh, franchise. And it's mm. quite confusing, I have to say. We're not I, talking... I think Bogus Journey is confusing in and of itself, though. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, there's so many there's so many weird in, just avenues they go down. I mean, because, yeah, we have the robots coming back to kill regular Bill and Ted. But before they, they... talk to regular Bill and Ted, regular Bill and Ted propose to the... Uh, the princesses. The princesses, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there. There actually, that's that whole like party scene before they propose to the princesses, where like you know they're Bill and Ted are having a party, and um, and you know uh, Ted's father is there, but for some reason the head of the uh, of the Alaskan Military Academy is also there to threaten Ted. So basically, did did Ted invite him, or did like Ted's father get an invitation that said like? You plus guest, and he just made his guest the head of the Alaskan Military Academy, who's, no, because, who's in San Dimas, so not Alaska. No, because at the time, Bill and Ted really don't have jobs. They do live. No, they do. They work right. at the cheese and pretzel. Right, uh, pretzels and cheese. Yeah, and they donate blood. <laughs> but the thing is, is that they don't have a serious life plan. So he's. I think no. he's trying to scare them with the idea of Colonel Oates in the Alaskan Military School. Like, but, oh. We can send all of you there. But seriously, how scary can Ted's dad be after he marries Missy Mom? Yeah, yeah that's the other twist. He's married Missy. Yeah, he's, he's kind of <laughs> changed a little bit in this movie. He's more affectionate in his, in his own weird way. Yeah. And I also was thinking at, at the end of the movie, I, I actually had the idea, he could, he could have played Rudy Giuliani in the movie. <laughs> We don't. We never see Bill's father in this movie. So, like, I, part of me imagines you that you do. When, you see oh, him yeah, for one do. second, and he's sad. It's in a split second. He's shot. super sad because he doesn't have Missy anymore. Oh my like gosh! He's, he's eating. looking like a devastated human being, and he says, "Your dad looks bad, dude." And he, he's eating ho hos or something. Oh <laughs> lord! When I, saw, when I saw the premiere, I laughed so loud at that because I had no idea they were going to bring back Dave Patrick McNamara for that role, just for that two-second spot. I thought that was hilarious. Oh my! I never noticed that. I like assumed he wasn't there because he committed suicide after losing Missy. <laughs> wow! Wow! <laughs> Whoa! Now it's going too dark. <laughs> well. <laughs> and then, of course, at the end of the movie, during those wonderful uh, magazines, we find out that Missy marries Benamalo, so she just kind of goes through everybody. <laughs> yeah, but I, wasn't that on the Star newspaper at the end? <laughs> I don't know if that was exactly Star. <laughs> Uh, but, um, but when you talk about Colonel Oates's Colonel Oates being at the party scene, this really ties in with the, the stuff that was cut from the movie, which is so important to talk about because a lot of people really do prefer Bogus Journey to Excellent Adventure, and the people who you know were in it, Alex and Keanu and, and Ed and Chris, I think they all preferred Bogus Journey to Excellent Adventure. And I'm on the fence about it because I think Excellent Adventure is kind of a tighter movie. But I think Bogus Journey would have been too if the censors had left it alone because it really had much more of a point to it the way it was originally filmed. And have you ever that... thought about if you if do you still have the old script? Yes. 
if you um, this was something we found out that another comedian had done, but what about doing just a straight table reading of the script with a bunch of people at a ta- at a table and you have everybody assigned a part, and then you just have them read the script as if it were the movie. See if you could get Alex Winters. I think that would be a draw for certain people. That would be awesome. I would love to do something like that. Um, oh, we will. I, I haven't put together the bogus journey section of the site. I think if you go there and you go to the movie section, you'll see the excellent adventure part is up, but I haven't really put together the bogus journey part. Well, you should definitely uh, put a link. It will be up for the 20th anniversary, which is going to be next year. Oh, wow. But, excellent! Um, excellent. So, but I do, I have, I mean, I have extensive, I, you would talk about the comic books, the novelization, all go, they all follow the original plot, plus I have original storyboards for the missing scenes. So, yeah, I will be piecing together a very detailed segment of them, but to give you just a quick rundown of what the original movie, the way it was supposed to go, in the movie, uh, you know, they, they die and go to hell, and they, they go to heaven, and... God directs them to uh, find a scientist to help them build good robot Bill and Ted's to fight the good evil robot robots. Bill and Ted's. Yes. But while they're in hell, they are faced with their fears, which is the Easter Bunny for Ted, which is just a little bouncy bunny, but he's kind of got this nasty little voice, and he sounds very menacing. And it's because I want to Ted talk about that when we get to hell. Yeah, Ted stole Deacon's uh-huh. Easter basket. You know. Bill's his grandmother he's just terrified of her kissing him because she's got that scary grandmother thing going on (laughs) and Colonel Oates so they face all these fears in hell well at the scene when we talked about when Bill and Ted were supposed to open up and actually evil Bill was dressed as evil Ted and vice versa um, they were actually supposed to open up their bodies and pull out these tubes that Denomalos had given them and leave them there these tubes were going to turn into monstrous versions of Bill and Ted's fears. And these fears were going to try to stop them from getting to the Battle of the Band. And during the course of this fight, this huge battle, they would realize that if they were nice to their fears, if they confronted their fears and faced them and were very, very nice to them, they could defeat them. Well, you know, that kind of makes sense, because when the evil robot Bill and Ted go to kill Bill and Ted, and, you know, they, they're dangling over the edge of the cliff, and Bill and Ted kind of, as like a desperate effort, are like, I know you're trying to kill us, but, dudes, we love you. Like, that seems so out of nowhere, and even as a desperate gamble to save their lives, it doesn't make sense. But now that I'm hearing that that was part of the original script, now that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, a lot of things do, if you know that, because there were a lot, like, you know, having Colonel Oates in that scene, that's to set up who Colonel Oates is, because his character was, besides just being in hell, he was in hell, of course, so that's probably why they left him in. Was cause what is the idea of the nightmares? Was it cut out for budget reasons, or...? It was strictly cut out because they felt it was too scary for kids. Ugh. Oh, that bunny, <laughs> man. Oh. We're going Again, to I, I want to talk about the bunny. I don't know why kids would have been scared by any of this, but... I was freaked out by that bunny, and I was also scared of, of, uh, of Alex Winters in granny makeup. That was pretty that, scary. That was that was creepy as heck. I so mean, evil Bill really... and Ted pose as the uh, the girlfriends on the phone. They basically trap Bill and Ted because they're like, "We're from the future. We're here to get you back with the with the the princesses." 
because they're going to fix all of their problems because they're from the future and they already know how everything was solved. Right, and since so. they followed the advice of future Bill and Ted in the first movie to uh, pass their uh, presentation, they decided, oh, they can just do that again. The perfect ruse. <laughs> and of course, they take him out to the desert. And to the rock of Sierra Madre where Kirk fought yeah. the Gorn. And they watch that And episode. they feed him to the Gorn. <laughs> no, they throw him off the edge of a cliff. And they land with no blood on the ground. <laughs> right next to each other. Well, they were thrown was, right was, so they, That definitely was a little subtle. Well, I don't know how subtle it was, but the, that was a tribute to that Star Trek episode. They showed that little clip of, of uh, William Shatner at Vasquez Rocks, and then, of course, they're right at that same spot at Vasquez Rocks, getting thrown off a cliff. <laughs> yeah. I gotta say, like, I love, I love their death forms. The cool concept of having them in black and white. Oh the yeah, they're, they're shapes. Yeah. And then also, I guess they must have like used Blight Spirit or whatever makeup they used. Like totally drains all the 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 warmth from their faces. And I and they I guess they must have had a filter because you can't really tell their eye color. I don't think they well, they might have had contacts, special contacts. Yeah. But it's so yeah. So they 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 their bodies hit the ground. They die. Their their souls rise up out of their bodies as like ghosts. And then, of course, who do they meet? Will Sadler. As the Grim Reaper. As Bergman's Grim Reaper. Yeah, he looks like he stepped right out of a seven seal. Because he's, like, he's not like a death, he's not like a skull or anything, but he has that image of Bergman's death, just bald and white with a black cloak and just, ah. Oh. And it, it actually kind of scared me as a kid as well. And the accent, which is totally, I guess, Swedish? The Eastern European... William Sadler does a great job in this movie. It's a very the humor can be very subtle. I like the scene where he has a great smile. I love him in Shawshank Redemption. I love him in Shawshank Redemption. He's been in a bunch of movies. And if you want to see another interpretation of death from the Seventh Seal, you should watch Last Action Hero, where Ian McKellen plays uh, another take on that same character come to life. Yeah, when we when we read the script early on, we knew that whoever was cast in the role of death, that was going to be a pivotal part in the movie, and was going to either make or break the film. And we didn't know who William Sadler was when when he did it, but you know, we found out. And he's awesome. He's an incredible actor, and he always joked because he had just done um, Die Hard 2. And oh yeah, he played one. killers previously, so he would get on interviews and say, "Yeah, in this movie, I killed a couple of people, and then, then Die Hard kill two, I killed hundreds of people, and now I've peaked because I'm death and I killed everything." <laughs> yeah, he's 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 a great great guy. He's got a really good sense of humor. And I love and I love how they escape death. They give him a wedgie, but they refer <laughs> to the wedgie as a Melvin. Now is well, that why do they why a Melvin? Why do they... A Melvin is a frontal wedgie. But they didn't do it from the front. Oh, grab it from the back. Yeah, and that is kind of strange. It, it, it's, there's different interpretations of it, but I think it's a colloquialism. It depends on where you live is what it's called. I had never heard it called a Melvin before either. Well, you know what I think it is, since you mentioned the censors, I, I bet it's in the script. It specifically states it's a Melvin, but the censors wouldn't let them show them wedging someone's balls, so they just had to show the wedgie from the back, but they still left in the Melvin reference. Well, Melvin is a funny word. It is. Too, like so. muckluck. It's pretty funny, too. <laughs> yeah. 
But it's not uniquely Bill and Ted. I mean, the only wedgie variants I can remember in school that people would do is they would pull people's shorts down if they wore the gym shorts, and they'd call uh, that shanking. What? In Georgia, they would call that shanking. Wow. Um, but shanking also means stabbing someone? Or is that... Yeah, in a prison in shower. A prison? Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, we just well, how do they, they fool him into looking down to the shoes are untied when he's not wearing shoes? <laughs> That's well, the like, point. Death is dumb. Don't fear the Reaper. <laughs> He's an idiot. Well, well, I don't know. I never got a good look at his feet. So, like... No, I, I, I've i seen his feet. He doesn't wear shoes. Yeah. He wears sandals? Doesn't wear sandals. Because Grecian sandals still tie up. I think... I'm pretty sure he's barefoot. Barefoot to the whole movie. So they escape death, and they uh, go to the police station and possess Ted's father and a fellow police officer. That guy. And seeing him give, trying to convince cops that, oh, my son's gone to hell, but now I'm... No, no, my son's been murdered by a robot. Right, yeah, been <laughs> murdered by a robot version of himself. And now he's That's possessing... So they have to convince all the police to go after him, and of course nobody follows them out. Of the but it's, it's so great, because it's, uh... <laughs> because it's, uh, it's, it's the actor playing uh, Ted's father, and the actor playing that other police detective impersonating Keanu Reeves and Alex Winters, and it's so funny. How Landon Jr., who played Ted's dad, does yeah. the most incredible job of, of doing Ted. The other and police I believe officer the other actor is, bit... is Roy Brocksmith. I think right. he's, he's, and he's passed a... away. They're very funny in it. I think Roy very Brocksmith funny. plays Bill as a bit broad. I mean, but I don't know. Yeah. When you're trying to be possessed, you're trying to act like you're being possessed by teenagers, I don't know how else you would do it. Well, you watched the first movie. Yeah. Or the well, Hal, oh, but Hal also, the, Hal got to be with them all the time, so he got to get a first-hand experience. You know, Alex Winter, like, as a director, I can imagine him, like, t- telling someone how to play himself. Also, how cool are the spirit forms? This is the first, I think this is, like, the first movie I ever saw, the really cool effects they did, where they had the princesses walking through their spiritual forms and then going all warpy-like. And then when they, when they possess... Uh, when they possess uh, Ted's father, and he jumps into him, and it kind of squeezes, and it just... I can't i can't recall a movie that I've seen that done other than, like, The Frighteners. It's a real or, early CGI effect. But yeah, the thing is, I couldn't... I can't imagine seeing Patrick Swayze and Ghost moving the same way. I'm glad that, <laughs> that that's done on this, like, such comedic effect. Ghost would have yeah. lost all... It would have lost all sense if you had him moving the way that their spirits move in this movie. Maybe and Patrick's... They added, those, they added those little balloon sounds, those little squeaky balloon sounds. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was very funny. Some good audio work in this movie, too. And no, Patrick Swayze's ghost does not move like that now. Uncle Milkshake. I was, yeah, I was going to make that joke. Yeah, I know you were. I know. Aww. I stopped. Uh, you stopped me just um, in time. Let's talk a little bit about looking down Missy's cleavage and the riddance of evil. Yeah, eventually eventually, Bill and Ted's shades find their way, find that Missy is hosting a seance. And I love, I love about the seance because like, all the people at the seance are saying who they want to contact. And the last, per- and like they're all, it's like historical figures and poor people. And then the last person they want, the person they want to contact is Ty Cobb, which wow. I don't know how many people get that, but I think it's just hilarious that all these people want to talk to great scientists and composers and and, and, and like King Charlemagne. And the last person, Ty Cobb. Yeah, 
Ty Cobb. There's somebody at a seance who wants to Missy. who wants to contact a racist dead baseball player. That was that was Missy Mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and also it should be noted that we talked about how Ed and Chris had made a cameo appearance in the first movie. They make their cameo appearance in the second movie as as ugly and stupid. What are the ugly what are the names of the characters? In both movies, Chris is edited as ugly and Ed is credited as stupid. Oh, that's awesome. That's great. They can actually pick fun of themselves. Oh, yeah. And then, of course, um, the Geist, Bill and Ted, are sent away from the well, seance like they, because they're evil spirits. Well, well, that's the thing I don't get because, like, they, they kind of, like, appear. They appear before the seance as these, like, flo- floating ghosts, but they still look like Bill and Ted. And they're, try- once again, trying to communicate that Bill and Ted have been murdered and their bodies left in the desert and there's evil robots. And, and, like, n- not only does Missy not recognize them, she just kind of assumes that they're evil spirits. Taking the form of somebody she knows. Well, think about it. In a regular seance, what happens? It's more Nothing. of like a group med- Right. Nothing. It's more <laughs> of a group meditation. You're oh. used to silence. If you heard something and saw something you know you didn't hear or see there before, you'd probably panic. Right. Well, I don't know. Um... Because somebody would have to be curious and be like, oh, wow, real ghosts, and, and try to ask them questions. But, but if you sent I actually, spirit to hell, wouldn't it just get angrier and seek vengeance on you? Well, well that's something yeah, that... Then it's caught in hell. Well, well, that's the thing I noticed when, like, Missy gets out that book of that book about dispelling spirits and the leads... Evidence of evil. That, sent, right. that, that banishes Bill and Ted and sends them to hell. Does that mean anybody with this book can send the dead to hell? Does that mean that a lot of good, virtuous people are being accidentally sent to hell? I guess if they show up at their seance, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because like, cause Bill and Ted certainly don't deserve to go to hell, but a few passages from that book, and, and down they go. Also, that down, that falling gag, where they're falling through just dark blackness, I was I remember seeing it in the theater and laughing hysterically through the entire thing. I still thought it was the funniest thing ever. And that scene I in the blackness that. is what they use on the DVD menu. It's very disconcerting if you haven't seen the movie in a while. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's complete That's blackness. True. Did they kind of is rip that... that joke off for Journey to the Center of the Earth recently? It, well, it's uh, a classic yeah. joke to like to like be screaming and falling and then to inhale, like relax and then scream again. But I like how they I like how they give extra mileage to it here. When they finally get tired of screaming, they decide to play a guessing game. And like Bill <laughs> Bill gets it was like, you know, all right, I'm, I'm thinking of something. Are you animal? Are you mineral? Mineral. Mineral. Yeah. Are you a tank? Dude, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> I love how it's... So, this just shows how well they know each other. Yeah. It's totally pointless to play 20 questions. They know what they're thinking. <laughs> but, but I love how they love it. They high-five each other even as they're falling. And then finally they land, they land on a massive rock floating in hell. Attached to chains and a whole bunch of people yelling stuff like on other rocks. That's so cool. Yeah, and, we very see, frightening. and we see the devil standing on that mechanical dragon's head. I didn't find the devil that frightening in this movie. I would have preferred Tim Curry as the darkness up there on the uh, platform. <laughs> Do your Tim Curry laugh. <laughs> <laughs> The set designer explained how he did everything in a circular pattern. So everything in hell is in circles, and everything in heaven is in circles. And mm. originally, you you kind of get a glimpse of this is more stuff was cut out of the hell scene as well. 
but originally what the devil would do is he would pull on a big lever and like you see that when he pulls bill and ted's rock towards him but the rock is pulled into the jaws of the dragon and clamp shut and crush it so that's what he intended he did that with somebody else they got that part got cut now i've uh, seen that part though i've seen that part where it's gotten crushed i think there's a tv edited version somewhere that shows that scene well, you see the rock being crushed, but you don't really see any people being crushed. And then, of course, Bill and Ted, you assume their rock is crushed. They just happen to jump up on the dragon before they just... Let's get out of here. You gotta wonder Towards... if anyone's ever thought about doing that before. <laughs> no, and I actually, I thought a lot about this. Because since they don't believe that they deserve hell, they can freely leave the torment that traps others. Yeah, but, Except how, many... Off... but how many people think they deserve hell? That's the problem. All sinners, basically because of Catholic dogma, all sinners who know that they've sinned feel that they deserve hell. Every person who's ever done something has that guilt. Only the people who are free of guilt can go to heaven or something. Well, I well, like I how the game describes it. Well, I can see that you know Bill and Ted clearly don't deserve to go to hell, so I can see how that might give them a metaphysical edge. Although what, I love that line, that one line that does seem weird, because like, I love that they're like, Dude, we were totally lied to by those album covers. But then again, like this, this looks like a heavy metal hell. I'm not sure exactly what they're talking about. Yeah. But Bill and Ted aren't really that phased about being in hell. They're really more concerned about getting back to rescue the princess babes because they've found out by now that evil Bill and Ted plan to kill them, and that's mm. their driving force, their motivation, and everything from that point in the movie is getting back to Earth and, and saving the babes. But hell to them is just another place. That's what's so funny about it. They just were like, well, this is kind of excellent. And the, another scene that was cut was they were supposed to break up rocks. And they were forced by a demon guard to break up rocks. And Ted's like, I kind of like this, you know. <laughs> They're like, yeah, but Ted, we got to get back and save the babe. No, I kind of like breaking up rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and then you have, they're given the choice of hells. Yeah, they're I dropping this. This like maze, this iron maze with these like hatches, and behind each hatch is a different personal hell. And Thrasher, guess who did the voice of Satan? Frank Welker. Frank Welker. Mm-hmm. He's also, I believe, the voice of the Easter Bunny and at least one of the stations. Oh my God! Just that again, the Easter Bunny. But first, we're we're confronted with Colonel Oates, which is their, I guess, dual hell. If they both had to choose a hell together, Colonel Oates would be it with this terrifying like. A Beetlejuice-esque, uh, I guess... A bunkhouse uh, from the bunk military. House, yeah. And then you have, um, each one of them goes off in another direction, and uh, one finds the Easter basket, and the other one has to deal with his grandmother, or grand-aunt. This is his grandmother. It was grandmother. It was grandmother S. Preston. Oh. That makeup is just wonderful. And that's Alex. That's Alex in the makeup. Yep. Yeah. I think that's so cool. Do we know who's in the rabbit costume? Uh, no, I think the rabbit's a puppet. No. There's a puppet. Oh. That rabbit looks like something out of a David Slade video. You ever seen <laughs> Sour Girl by uh, Stone Temple Pilots? No. Oh, no, that's a... Oh, yeah. What the yeah. rabbit reminded me of was in the uh, Twilight Zone movie, there's a segment in a... Uh, where a kid likes cartoons and he makes his house like a cartoon world and you see oh, a, yeah. a creepy rabbit in that, but that one looks more like a Bugs Bunny on acid or something. It's oh, yeah. more of a slender rabbit. This is a <laughs> plump, canine look. Oh, this one, this is a fat rabbit, uh, Easter Bunny, and this one looks a bit like Chucky for some reason. 
don't know, something about the eyes. You ate your brother's feast basket. <laughs> oh, so creepy. And oh, when there are little so kids in there, that, I mean, just, just when they walk through, especially little Bill. Yeah, yeah they're so cute as kids, though, aren't they? That's, like, <laughs> yeah. so funny. It's like, I could so totally see a prequel, like the young Bill and Ted adventures. Oh, yeah, why didn't we <laughs> okay. see that? He called Bill and Ted's Triumphant Twos. Oh. <laughs> or no, Bill, Bill and Ted, most triumphant tweens, where they're really, really young. Uh. Now, in the, in the comics, they do have kids of their own. Yes. Well, in the movie, they have kids of their own. At the very end, yes. At the very end, they have babies. Right. That's a whole other time travel thing. That's um, good, yeah. <laughs> but then they, of course, they they have to choose which of the uh, hells is the one they're going to have forever. They have and to I choose hell. But I was a kid, like when they're like running down the corridors, and like the Colonel Oates, the Granny Preston Esquire, oh. and the Easter Bunny are chasing them through those iron corridors. As a kid, that did freak me out a little bit. That's a really lovely, disturbing scene. Yeah, so the censors may have been on to something because I mean, you know, like I said, I was I was about 27 when I saw these movies, so I I couldn't fathom how that could be scary. But you know, as a kid, yeah, you probably would be like, ooh, this is kind of weird. And you don't expect it out of a Bill and Ted movie. Well, we we survived it thankfully. Okay, good. <laughs> Not traumatized for life. But of course, they get out. Because... Yeah, they, they they get out by challenging the Reaper to a game. That transformation from the hallways to death being present as, like, the darkness and coming up and he's there. Ah, oh, that's such a cool effect. Well, it's a nice cutaway. Of, the reference of having death, having to play a game, is also from The Seventh Seal, where in that right. movie they play uh, chess. But right. in this one, since death keeps on losing, they keep on, he says, best two out of three, best three out yeah, of five, best six Ted out of... Six, Bill and eight, Ted aren't going to be able to play chess. They're not going to be able right. to play chess. Well, you know, so, well, it's like for, first they play Battleship, and then they play <laughs> they play Clue and Electric Football and <laughs> Twister. Now, are those all yeah. Milton Bradley uh, board games? Yes. Well, you know, like yes, it's product placement, but it's product placement that that works. Each one of those board games, you get a really strong joke out of. In that, and everybody scene. knows them too. I mean, at that yeah. time, I didn't know what electronic football was. Cause by then, we had SNESs. And it, in fact, I, I love the scenes where they're playing games of the Reaper. They was best, best three out of the four, best five out of seven. Damn right. And <laughs> the, the only, the only thing that scene is missing. I think the only way you could improve that scene is if after one of the best two out of three lines, it just immediately cut to Bill and Ted saying, Stratego! And they have a... And it's like, oh! <laughs> well, here's a question. If you had to, if you had to uh, go against death, what game would you choose? Oh, wow. Y you know what? I'd turn the tables on them. I'd play Arkham Horror, which is a cooperative board game. So Ooh. either all the players win or all the players lose. Yeah, but then you can't beat him. You're right. That would be interesting. No, it doesn't say you have to beat him. You have to win. Mm. Looking at the scene in the movie, it makes me realize how Twister is such a weird game, especially a weird game for kids <laughs> to play. You can tell it was invented in the uh, late 60s, early 70s. It was, it was for adults to, like, put their bodies against each other. and uh, to break the ice at parties. It's indirectly a sex education game for youngsters. I don't know. It's no. just very... <laughs> 
I think the whole point was you were trying to avoid body contact as much as possible while you're... But it always involves the people in a heap on the floor. I don't know, it's just very... Just like my last party. Hey. Here's an here's an interesting little thing to look for though in that in the twister scene is um when Keanu spins the the spinner he actually calls out the 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 play before the spinner stops spinning. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope Jess didn't notice that could be cheating. <laughs> he might come back and say, "Wait a minute, you cheated." <laughs> well, I love this I love technically. I love the twister because like. This is one thing that this one way that this movie did really make a big impression on me. This this movie was the the first thing I ever saw where wherein the figure of death was used as a source for comedy, which is something I'm now very attracted to. I love that notion of using the Grim Reaper for comedy. We see it in Discworld, we see it in the New Yorker cartoons, and there's something just so wonderful about about death the ultimate answer to everything, the end result of everything, playing Twister and just how silly that is and seeing death death in these positions where he can't maintain the dignity that he must always have. What would Bergman think of that? He'd probably think it was brilliant. Hmm. <laughs> but isn't it funny, though, when you make references, if it's a reference to what's considered a classic movie, it's considered an intelligent joke. An homage. Yeah, but, right, but if it's a reference to, I don't know, Critters 3 or something, <laughs> they'd consider it, that... Yeah, it's interesting, because the game sequence is by far the, the favorite part of the movie for most fans, and yet, you know, when people saw it, I'm not sure that they got the reference right away, mm. but it's funny without even knowing the reference. Definitely. It's yeah, something it you can go back to later in life. And it's also not a joke where the characters pause, look at the camera, and go, oh, that's from The Seventh Seal. You know, you know, some right. Yeah, they don't throw, they don't, throw, you know, hitch over the head with it either. It's just, it's there, and you either. Yeah, and I doubt that's actually a movie that either of them have seen, where they would get the <laughs> reference of why death looks like that. <laughs> no. no, and death is death is a very sympathetic character in this in this movie. I mean, he's supposed to, he comes in and he's supposed to be somebody that that they fear and that everybody and should fears. take serious. Oh, and Bill and Ted just accept him as a, a dude. Oh yeah, you're excellent, dude. And he's very vulnerable and and self-conscious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he probably hasn't better had to deal with anyone that wasn't outright terrified. <laughs> he's never had anybody show him any kind of affection or love, and he sort of becomes like a best friend to Bill uh -huh. and Ted. Yeah, that's what it is. They they are um, excellent to him, and they teach yeah. him how to party on. Again, that message comes back. Another and then, film... of course, go ahead. Oh, another film that has a funny version of death is a sequence in Monty Python's Meaning of Life. Oh, yes. And, and it's funny because we originally, we envisioned John Cleese playing the part of death. Oh, <laughs> oh man. We thought that would have been awesome. Man, that would have been something. Although that William Sadler's great, too, so. Yeah, William Sadler, I think so much better. I should, I should point out, too, very quickly, that actually, well, I did not know this until someone sent me a copy of a really rare comedy series. Um, called Assaulted Nuts. It ran in, on HBO way back in the 80s, and and William Sadler was on. It was like a contingency of, of American and British comedians doing sketch comedy, and um, somebody sent it to me for somebody else, but William Sadler happened to be in it, and William Sadler was doing that death character in that show, and that was a good four or five years before Bogus Journey. Wow. wow, really? Was it something so that they had seen? They came in doing that, and they said, that's great. <laughs> that's what we need. 
Well, you know, he did Death Again in Tales from the Crypt. He played uh, yes. in in the HBO series and like an interstitial bit with the Crypt Keeper. He played Death, and he also played a mummy that had a kind of similar voice. Right, right, and that, that was after Bogus Journey, though. But yeah. yeah, he did he did reprise that role. Yeah, <laughs> really cool. How weird would that be to be typecast as Death? So after this sequence, Bill and Ted win enough of the games. The Reaper sort of agrees and he's under they can command him their will is his command he becomes a genie yes <laughs> a reluctant genie wow having death at your command is weird in the comics he's more of like a friend and they kind of when death has some problems they actually help him when death loses his job as the grim reaper they actually help him get his job back <laughs> <laughs> well and in the comic death looks like a skeleton Yes, yeah. he doesn't have the he doesn't have the bald head. He actually does look like how we imagine death. When when Evan Dorkin did the comics for Marvel, uh, he had never seen X One Adventure or Bogus Journey. They gave him a set of photographs to go by. Really? And, wow. Yeah, and he he had never seen it, and he told me, well, I didn't like the way they did death in the movie because it was just a guy in makeup and I said well you gotta understand that it's all based on the Bergman thing and, and the accent and everything but he, he preferred to do it as a skeleton and I think you know for the comics it worked great he draws skeletons very well he, he is, it, it was the most bizarre um, collaboration to have Evan I mean of all comic book artists to get Evan Dorkin to do Bill and Ted the guy who's behind Milk and Cheese <laughs> It'd be the last person you would think of, and he did it brilliantly. He just captured that dark humor, and he made it all his own. And and he didn't really make Bill and Ted cute. No, I mean it's very grungy, kind of dirty looking, mm -hmm. and I, I wish it's the, very nineties. And I wish the cartoon would have had that some of that design to it, maybe. <sighs> I can imagine that. That would have been awesome. But we'll talk about the cartoons after we discuss. Right. Uh, this so, so they, they have to beat death, death. And they go, Mahal in heaven. Yep, go up to heaven. <laughs> and I and love the way heaven looks. Everything is explained in that pamphlet that the woman gives you at the gates. <laughs> <laughs> and they beat up people and steal their clothes to go into heaven <laughs> so they don't look suspicious. Well, it's not. It's, it's weird. Like, it, it, that scene only seems to happen for the sake of the gag of having Bill and Ted dressed like the Amish and Death in a gingham gown. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're Bill and Ted. To call him Deathina. Oh. Made the movie, but it was supposed to be your Deathina. Uh, and what's really cool about that is that, like, I love the line, "We better get out of here before we ruin it for everybody." Because they <laughs> also they also don't believe that they belong in heaven. Well, because they they know they have a destiny on Earth, alive. It's not their time. Well, and there's a wonderful scene. They walk in and see all these famous people like Einstein doing a game with the uh, with the two station aliens. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's, let's talk about the gate. Well, I want to yeah. know if there, if there was any discourse among the religious right about this movie's depiction of heaven. Well, I love the way heaven looks. It's like kind of a high-tech yet classical heaven. It's like if the planet Krypton w was heaven. It doesn't look like you know the, the heaven we always see in the Chuck White comic books. I think it looks like an amazing train station. Like the Great Space Coaster? Yeah. <laughs> they, I, I, there was, as far as I know, there were no repercussions about the way they depicted heaven or God. And I, I think that was because they wisely chose not to show God. And God doesn't even speak, as far as... Yeah, he does. He says, so. 
He says station. Station, yeah. Well, that's pretty. Brian. Safe word. <laughs> God's safe word is station. Oh, jeez. Oh, oh, God. That is also a great word, and I used to say that all the time after that movie. I think I start. I kept using that word a year after I'd seen the movie. Really? Yes. Yeah, well, that's something I, I love that there's this thread throughout throughout the movie where, like, wherever, whenever someone from the future, whether it's you know, whether it's people, whether it's the time travelers or the students or or uh, or the robots, whenever they want to say something like, "That's an awesome idea," I I understand you. They they don't say they don't say awesome or I got it. They say station, like it's this awesome piece of slang. But then of course, and then even God, you know, when the only thing God says is station. But he's answering their question about who's the best. But they don't get that. In the uh, that's until true. they see until they see a whole bunch of crowd of famous people: Einstein, uh, Fu Manchu. Well, what uh, about Marilyn Monroe? Well, what about how they Confucius. talk to God, though? What about how they talk to God? They oh, they him thank the him for they Earth. Treat the devil, they treat him. They, that's the thing about Bill and Ted; they treat everybody the same. They I think they're all excellent. They make a joke about Uranus and the creation of Uranus, but yeah, yeah but still in a complimentary way. Yeah, <laughs> but that's the thing is like though because like there's a line of people to see God and like you know there's this thing like only the most enlightened can seek audience, which I think is kind of unfair because like you know. If you're already that enlightened, would you need to see God? But then again, you know, wouldn't it suck to get to heaven and like, awesome, I'm in heaven. All my the people I love the most are here. Oh, but I don't get to see God. That would that would be like going to Disney World and not seeing the Epcot Center. Maybe, well, I thought you were gonna say Mickey. <laughs> maybe it's more to do with what your motivation is. Oh, true, true. Because but then, like, to see God. What do they do? They quote Guns and Roses, and that gets. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah they, they ask him, they ask him, like, you know, what is the meaning of life? <laughs> every, every rose has, has thorn, just as every night has its <laughs> dawn, just as every cowboy sings a sad, sad song, and then death, every rose oh. has its thorn. Uh, don't I know you? Sense, though. Isn't, isn't that song lyric just a perfect representation of the duality of being? And if you like, yeah. uh... That hey, song and Brett Michaels, you can get a special limited time edition Tropicana, uh, like Tropper Rocka diet tea flavor, because that was a oh, contest right. on The Apprentice right. this season, where they had to wow. make up a flavor of um, excellent. And again, all the all the all the best wishes to Mr. Brett Michaels. Indeed, he's not dead, is he? Or... No, he's not no, dead. He's, he's, he, had he was that... a bad. He had a stroke and. He's still having some problems. Yeah. What an awesome dude. Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's the idea behind power ballads. These guys know their rock and roll. They know the music and stuff. And power ballads do speak good like they speak to certain ideals. They speak poetry. I mean it's beautiful. Like especially. that Motley Crue song you sing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now did you notice, Jason, that in the scene where the aliens are doing uh, charades to obscure movie titles, yes, I did. Smokey and the Bandit Three, which we Smokey the Bandit Three, Smokey is the Bandit, which we covered yeah, on a early episode yeah. of Sequel Cast, and they also talk about Butch and Sundance: The Early Years, which is a prequel exactly. to Butch casting yeah. the Sundance Kid, that had a very limited release that very few people <laughs> have ever seen. That's why Deaths mentioned it. <laughs> Probably was only the only people who saw it. <laughs> 
and everybody just looks at him like, uh, death. Well, you know, that... Here's the question. Shouldn't he have known everybody there? And shouldn't everybody have been, like, afraid of him? Well, no, they, they know they're safe from him. They can't die. They're already uh-huh. dead and in heaven. Yeah, they probably and, see him around all the time. But that's something, like, I love... Like, I guess this, this Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, in many ways, could be considered, you know, a, a very early example of outright uh, geek humor. Because we have the references to Ingmar Bergman, we have this, we have this time travel plot, we have uh, robot, comedic robot assassins and, and Martian inventors. But, but then, you know, to top that all off, we do get that, oh, eat this Smokey and the Bandit too, Smokey is the Bandit, which is such a piece of Hollywood minutia that I can't imagine anyone in the theater knowing because Smoking the Bandit 3, that was the original title of Smoking is the Bandit, because in the original script, Jackie Gleason was supposed to play both the Bandit and Buford T. Justice. That was going to be the twist, as he's playing both roles. But apparently test audiences didn't like that, so I don't like it. they reshot it with Snowman as the Bandit. There's so like apparently Einstein saw that movie. <laughs> Their sense of humor has always been obscure, and, and I think... Uh, Ed and Chris and Alex and Keanu, I think, worked closely on stuff like that. And um, last week we talked a little bit about Keanu Reeves and, and his acting, but Alex Winter is actually a brilliant director, and, and he did a lot oh, of yeah. stuff with um, Tom Stern. He did a series for MTV called The Idiot Box, but he also did a movie called Freaked. Which oh, I love that. Which bogus journey reunion of sorts, since it all oh, starts Keanu brilliant. Reeves and William Sadler. <laughs> And he makes references to things like Jake and the Fat Man in that, which, you know, who knows <laughs> that nowadays? <laughs> Jake and the Fat Man and Fiddle Faddle. Yes. Fiddle Faddle. <laughs> and also, um, isn't, um, isn't, yeah, no, I can't think. Um, Arthur O'Gill is also. Yeah, he plays. And he played the Guess Your Weight midget clown. <laughs> and then also the guy who plays Death is um, one of the. Yeah, William Sadler. He, he plays the executive. The executive, yes, thank you. With that great smile, you said you love his smile. He has an evil. Yeah. The great smile and the evil laugh. Exactly. Uh, but you talk about station. You talk about well, the joke is that the no, the smartest person in the afterlife. Well, the, 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 the greatest inventor in the universe is a two Martians. Which we don't see any other Martians in heaven except for station. Right. Arturo Gill was also uh, famous for his stint on The Man Show, and Ed yes. Gale is the little guy from Oh Brother Where Out Thou. He ain't lying. Yes. Oh. Yes. I have to say, I'm not crazy about the uh, station aliens in this movie. It just almost <gasps> feels like because of when it was made, they had to have some kind of man in suit, Muppet, animatronic, whatever, how they did it. And it just seems like a device to make the good robot Bill and Ted's and I know the yeah, joke is, I, they say station I, all the time instead of speaking. I, I agree. I, I didn't really think the station idea worked. I mean, the idea behind it was they were supposed to be sort of a, an alien, strange representation of Bill and Ted, two, two different people who, are, in fact, were like one. But it was so bizarre. <laughs> it just came out as being very, very strange. I thought it was so clever because the idea that that you wouldn't like have like somebody like Thomas Edison or somebody from the future who would be able to build robots. You have somebody of an extreme intelligence who's also so alien that they do come in as a weird character, but at the same time, they have a purpose, and they also agree to go back to Earth from well, heaven. 
well, to think, do this. I think it's kind of it's almost like like the the goon show. Once you start ramping up the crazy, you can't stop. So you know, Bill and Ted <laughs> killed by time traveling assassin duplicates. They've gone to hell. They've gone to heaven. Well, where do you go from that? The Martians. Right. You have to do well, this to keep the momentum going. Well, what's really cool about stations is we do see them combine because there's two of them. We see them combine to become large station, who is the combination of both their intelligence. When they get sick in the comic book, they actually split up. And the more they split, the dumber they get until they're like little two-inch little goblins running around <laughs> taking stuff apart. That's right. So they that finally was a very clever interpretation. So after, so after they acquire Station, the two Martians that will help them build good robots that are be strong enough to defeat the evil robots, you know, Bill and Ted suddenly wake up, you know, uh, where, you know, where their bodies fell. They, they, they return to the bodies, which have been picked clean. Well, not picked clean. Well, they've, they've been, been picked out by buzzards by and worms and maggots. So they're basically returning to corpses they left behind and still are able to function. So technically, they are now undead. Well, I don't know. I think they're resurrected because they, they are in perfect health. I think their bodies are rejuvenated. But that's the whole weird thing is because, like, Station is there. So that means Station is only resurrected but recorporealized. But then Death is there, too. So, like, after <laughs> Death's obligation is ended, he's still following them around. <laughs> I guess because they... Falls, I think you're giving Ed and Chris a lot of credit here. They, they just <laughs> thought it was funny and they did it. <laughs> they didn't really seem to worry about how things happened. <laughs> yeah, let's just do this. Let's see what happens. Right. Easy. You don't you don't do anything big special effects. Just say, oh, they wake up. Okay, we just do this, and there we go. Everything's done. There was in the storyboards. There actually was an interesting way. I'm trying to think of what it was because I haven't looked at them in a while. But there was a very interesting effect they were going to use to have Bill and Ted rising up out of their bodies when they were dead. I think. I thought the cut they did was fine. Because they like open their yeah. eyes, they sit up, and it's black. They're in black and white. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, it worked the way they did. But I don't know how much budgetary restrictions they thought. It probably was one of these things where okay, you can do that scene, but you have to drop another. You can only do so much special effects. And this has quite a lot of special effects, I have to say, mm -hmm. um, and they all come off pretty well. Uh, I do want to point out, I have to leave in about 20 minutes. Oh. Again, I'm on a time crunch. Sadly, oh, I only I only have two things. Well, actually, I have three things to uh, put up. Well, let's they, let's work let's away to the, the robots. Let's work away yeah. to the end, and then mention a bit about the TV shows. So, yeah, the end of the movie, the good robots look very, very charming. I, I really like their uh, yeah, clunkiness. Just made made from plumbing supplies and electronics taken from a hardware store. Dust and also, the guys, the guys underneath those costumes. Guess what? They were both dancers. From Break Into Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Boogaloo Shrimp. How does that? Has, has that not so cool? It's 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 shrimp. It's Boogaloo awesome. Shrimp. Totally awesome. Yeah, that's so, And yeah, the way they they pop and lock, and they I thought, oh wow, those are some really cool animatronics. But I read yeah. that now. Like, the guys, I wanted to, I wanted to make a costume of those for that Halloween when I was a kid. I still want to make those costumes. Oh, that'd be pretty good. Oh, it takes some work, but that'd be pretty cool. They're so detailed. Oh, yeah. And them playing see, air uh, guitar. Of all the things they use. So evil, oh. evil Bill and Ted fight good Bill and Ted, and then at... Well, they, go to, the, they go to the Battle of the Bands. Right, go to the Battle of the Bands. Evil <laughs> Bill and Ted fight good Bill and Ted. Um, good Bill and Ted defeat them with their with good the robots. robots. Good robot usses. Good robot usses. Denomalos 
comes in with a time machine and threatens him, but sort of like in the first movie at the cop at the police station. They use time against right. him by saying, oh, if we do this, and once we beat him, we'll go back in time and rig a cage. Yeah, the big we'll cage falls on him and traps him. And also the but future of version of said. Bill and Ted come and in. Well, 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 no, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Yeah, wait. Because Domalos, he is able to control all the, the TV stations around the world. So everybody in the world is watching this battle. Is watching this battle of the bands, I guess. So everybody's watching this because he's going to make some big speech or whatnot once he wins. And, of course, he says, "If I once I win, I will rig this key. And he gets out of the cage. I'll rig a new gun, which just appears from nowhere. Just from <laughs> but, of course, the gun shoots a Wild Stallion's rule. Which means uh, that of course the wild stallion rule on it. Which means this, that Bill Ted win. All this may come across as a bit of a rehash, but again, the ending had been completely changed because originally, it's in the comic book. Um, they they were supposed to uh, press a button. I guess when Bill and they they end up with Bill and Ted, evil Bill and Ted's heads in their hands. They're supposed to press a self destruct button and throw them at Denomalos, and Denomalos actually dies. He blew up. I get sent to hell. Him and the two evil robots are in hell, which ties all that. Yes. So Uh, robots have souls. Again, I don't think uh, they worry about that. (laughs) (laughs) But of course, that would be Denomalos' hell. So of course, Satan would bring the... Exactly. He was stuck in hell with evil robot Bill and Ted, whom he hated as much as the real Bill and Ted. Right. So, so... So like Bill and Ted explain well we well Bill and Ted explain well we know there's already there's only one winner so since it's us none of you we set it up so none of your stuff to trump us works right and then Denomalos gets melvined by death yeah and then arrested <laughs> by Ted's father who just happens to be there and of course everybody's watching on TV so everybody watches this. oh they defeated the guy this is some pretty cool TV and now we're gonna hear some music concert stage show. But of course Bill and Ted realize they're still not good enough to play, so they get into the so they get into the time machine with the babes. Time machine vanishes, immediately reappears, and they come back after having <laughs> gone outside of time for sixteen months of extensive guitar training. And like Ted has this really awesome, you know ZZ top early metal no no that's Bill. Bill has a fucking ZZ top beard, which he apparently grew in sixteen months. <laughs> they went to the land of the beards and then uh and then Ted just looks really hip and metal, and then they, they're really good. And then they play that awesome kiss. They give their speech, but like the, we've been, we've been to the future, been to the past, we've been to heaven and hell, and all over the afterlife. But the best place to be is here. The best time to be is now. So let's rock! And they play that that great kiss song, "God Gave Rock and Roll to You." Yeah. Put it in the soul that, of everyone, that fantastic man. Fantastic intro by Steve Vai. Oh, yeah. And also the air guitars by Jim Starlin. Steve Vine and Jim Star, uh, Jim Martin. I'm sorry. Uh, but, but the, one thing, the one thing that's kind of inexplicable, though, is that not only is it Bill, Ted, and the Babes, but Station is in the band on on the drums, and Death is Death in the on band bass. on the bass. But yeah. like, where, did did he always know how to play the classical bass? Yes. Well, he <laughs> okay. <to> <laughs> true. True. We never do see him play. But then, then like. 
the credits roll, and in the credits we see like all the newspaper clippings about how Bill and Ted become worldwide successes and all these amazing things, and how death wins the Indianapolis 500. I didn't know I could run so fast. <laughs> and how the band breaks up, and the band gets back together, death is a solo album, and all this crazy stuff, and then finally, that Denomalos gets out of prison and marries Missy. <laughs> But I guess and because of their awesome rocking, this is what, I guess, changes the future from their very words around the world and everybody listened to, the, to their music. And look how much of an effect Kiss had. If they're playing that song and in this universe Kiss doesn't exist, maybe, I don't know. They no, would have about the same... If they either use or are better than Kiss, then look how much influence Kiss has well, had. Well, that's probably... Well, the thing is, like, that's probably not the only song they played. That was probably just their opener, which is their own interpretation of a classic song. And yeah. then they would probably play their own original music. Hmm. Well, the of the bands, I think they only performed one song. Well, they're Bill yeah, and Ted. They can keep playing. They're there. They're there. They probably do a concert. And that song is a cover version by Kiss as well. It wasn't performed originally by Kiss, so... Oh, really? Hmm. I couldn't tell you who the original band was, but now there was a, a cover. That's true. It is that called is God, the version. It's called God Gave Rock and Roll to You Too. Right. That is an amazing song, and that actually sometimes, like, it chokes me up. That is just a beautiful, beautiful song. Fabulous. Yeah. It's a good yeah. choice for the movie. Oh, can I just mention something real quick? The goatee on uh, Keanu Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, there's been some speculation that Keanu Reeves is immortal. I don't know if, you, if any of you have heard of this. Um, but nowhere more than in the end of this movie does he look more like Paul Monnier, which is supposedly who Keanu Reeves is. Um, it was uh, 1847. Uh, he was an actor in France, uh, and it's believed that that actor faked his own death because they never found the body, faked his own death, went to Lebanon, and became Keanu Reeves. Uh-huh. Look it up. Look it up. It's a true... Conspiracy theory. Yeah, I love that. It's a true conspiracy theory. <laughs> the conspiracy theory is truly a conspiracy theory. That Keanu Reeves I've only, I've only heard that Keanu Reeves is sad recently. That was the thing I read. I know. It is. Keanu is I, sad thing. I'm like, okay. I think that's for a movie. I don't know. No, didn't he have a girlfriend that died or got in an accident or like something? That was like 10 years oh, ago. What? But he's and he's got his sister. Have a picture of him on a bench looking sad, and now there, people are taking that picture and putting it in all different pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Keanu is sad. I'm like, if he's sad, it's because the paparazzi's taking a picture of him. Mm. Well, so after <laughs> Bill and Ted's bogus journey, that's still not the end of Bill and Ted, because there was the comic book series, the animated series, and a short-lived live-action television series. Right. Not Stark. And we don't have much time, so let's go around and do quick thoughts of the uh, movie and just briefly what you think about the TV shows uh, and the comic. Uh, great movie. I only read the comic, but I love some of the stories in the comic books. Uh, just really fun reading and the great art. Yeah, the the animated series predated Bogus Journey. Hanna-Barbera did the first season, which I loved. It actually is what got me into Bill and Ted again because I was like, this is just fabulous what they did because it was so inventive. Keanu Reeves, Alex Winter, and George Carlin all did their voices respectively. Oh wow! And it was it was brilliant piece of animation. Lots of guest stars, really brilliant art direction, really good plots. It was taken over by Deke the second season and moved to Fox, where I thought they completely destroyed it, ruined it, did a horrible job, and replaced the voices with that of the actors who ended up being in the live action series. Evan Richards, who played Bill, 
and Christopher Kennedy, who played Ted. The live-action series uh, came after Bogus Journey. It actually debuted in 1992, and it was, for the most part, a fiasco, although... Oh. I, I, well, it was. Alex Winter even said himself that they just completely missed the boat. It was a funny series, but it was not Bill and Ted. They just did not understand the characters. They didn't represent them properly. The actors never really caught on to what it was. Well, I should say the director. But, you know, they did what they could with what they had for... They basically said, we're doing a series and it's going to be like Porky's. Well, to say you're going to do a Bill and Ted show and it's going to be like Porky's is kind of ridiculous. Wait, did it have time travel or did it, was it, it more like Bogus or Ted. Yes. Oh. Yeah, it was basically them time traveling, and the prince, but the princess babes were not in it. Oh, well. Well, I'm going to say... Like, and the comic book series was fantastic. Evan Dorkin did it. Uh, for having not seen the movies... <laughs> he did a brilliant job. I mean, if for nothing else, that that whole series where they take Death to the Planet of the Apes Marathon is one of the funniest <laughs> things ever written in comics ever. Well, I'm gonna say, I, unfortunately, I never read uh, I never read uh, the comics. My brother, uh, younger brother, read them. And I did admire the artwork. I just never sat down to read them. Although I think I should look for reprints now. Um, the the animated series, first season, of the animated series is actually it's very fun. While it doesn't have the pacing of Bill and Ted, it does have the humor, it does have the same fun with time travel, and of course I love that the original actors are in it. And the animation is limited, but not so limited you can't enjoy it. It still looks pretty good. I actually watched the first episode of the first season and the last episode of the second season. The second season, when it moved to Fox, not only did they did they make the animation worse, lower the slow the show down, just ruin the pacing, take some of the, even some of the charm is gone from the character design. Not only that, but like, they have access to a time machine. They have access to a time machine and apparently when the second season oh, well that's not enough. Not only can they travel through time, they, they could travel into books now. So then they interact yeah. with they interact with fictional characters in non-fun ways that really betray a lot of the premise. Yeah. Live action series, live action series. Sadly, I never saw it. It was just like had a weird s schedule. Mm -hmm. oh, no, I'm sorry. I only think I saw it. one episode, and it was an episode where they traveled into a soap opera. So again, it's like a time machine's not enough. They have to be able to enter TV shows. It just seems like so unnecessary. Like in your first season, if you think you've exhausted the possibilities of time travel in your first season, <laughs> you have failed as a writer. Um, <laughs> So, like, and I'll admit, I did not like Bogus Journey when I saw it as a theater as a kid. I was like, oh, this, this, ah. But, like, having watched it now, you know, grow, you know, grown up, I really appreciate it. I really do love it. While I don't like it as much as I like the first Bill and Ted, I think it's just as good. It's a marvelous film with so much to offer. I feel Bogus Journey, um, I agree, Thrasher. I don't like it as much as the first film, but it's pretty interesting as far as what they tried to do and making it different and with the original version of the script Linda was talking about a lot of the movie would have made more sense and flown better wait really? it would have made a bit more sense I don't know I mean it still would be I don't, the canister, I don't know if the canister ideas I'm not liking that you're not liking the fat Rufus idea? no I'm not liking the fat Rufus either well let's see if we can get a hold of the said. script we'll, we'll peruse it Fat Rufus never got filmed, thank goodness. <laughs> if you want but, to see uh, some of the live-action show, uh, Linda, on her uh, website, BillAndTed.org, if you click in the videos section, she has, I think, the last episode of the series uploaded on her YouTube YouTube account. Uh, actually, right now we have the whole series. Up. Oh, the whole series. How about that? Mm -hmm. I gotta check that out. 
So if you go to BillAndTed.org and click on videos or YouTube on the side, it should pop up. Um, it's a pretty... Yeah, the live-action thing seems kind of dreary, and they're kind of look-alikes, but not really. But when it's just so <laughs> difficult to follow in the shoes of those actors. Although I think the future world looking like... Uh, it looks pretty similar to how it looks in the first movie with the, the three people in the dome. Well, you better explain the Chicken Kiev thing you threw out last week. Oh, right. So she has a clip on the YouTubes of um, a episode that began with a dream sequence of Rufus eating Chicken Kiev, which, uh, which is a European dish, sort of a baked chicken with almost like a whole stick of butter in there. So the butter explodes and hits you in the face when you try to cut into it. Oh, it's Russian, isn't it? It is Russian, yes. Oh, that's Asia, isn't it? Yes, you're sorry. right. Yep. Sorry, sorry, sorry. No, no, that's okay. No, you you, you run a Bill and Ted website. You like, like anybody's going to go do. out and have chicken Kiev after they hear about this. But... Oh, I don't know. It's, I'm just, a... it's a really disturbing dream sequence. <laughs> and you just have to see it uh, to believe it. Words cannot do it justice. <laughs> Very true. So... I've actually I've actually warmed up to the live action series a little more. Just if you if you just accept that it's not really Bill and Ted, it's it's not too bad. But it's a shame because it could have been as weird. Science was a wonderful adaptation of a television series, and this just missed the mark completely. That's true. Um, the entire both seasons of the Bill and Ted cartoon are up on Hulu.com, and I watched just clips from each season. And the first uh, season definitely has more interesting character designs. Ted just has two dots for eyes. He doesn't have whites in his eyes. <laughs> Which makes him look more like Keanu. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Or and... the other mother from Coraline. Oh, God, Coraline is horrifying. <laughs> but the second season, they look much cuter, and they're using a lot less frames of animation. I mean, the, the clip of an episode I saw... They spent half the episode watching the Leave It to Beaver parody called Leave It to Badger. Mm-hmm. Oh. It's like, what? What does this have to do with Bill and Ted? That was the problem you complained about them going into television and movies. And actually, that's not a bad premise, but they sent them into Leave It to Beaver and, and Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I mean, things. it was like they aimed the whole show at three-year-olds. Yeah. They well, I think they were like, down. oh, it's kind of educational. I think that was like half the reason things were going on the way they were. And like, you know what, the last episode of the second season, in, when they travel back in time to to Ted's father's childhood when he was a teenager, they, like, in the chemistry classroom in what I, which is what I presume is the 1960s, since it's this whole thing about doo-wop, uh, there's a Just Say No poster, which is something that did not exist until the 80s. But you gotta know, they, oh, the, they like uh, Nancy Reagan even though the Reagans weren't in power, like, oh, they like it when you put this stuff in the show, let's chuck it in there. Well, as, as, the, as the guy who worked on the, the original series for Hanna-Barbera said, as far as Deke is concerned, Deke stood for doing it crappy. <laughs> yeah. And they, unfortunately, on this one, I mean, I, I don't pan everything that Deke has ever done, because they've done some good stuff, but on this one, they, Fox, in general, just totally did not understand what Bill and Ted was all about. They've messed up almost every show that I liked that went to Fox. Really? Yeah, they they when they started replaying the Batman Adventures, and then they started to like do the Batman Adventures, they just would oh. edit it and mess with it, and then they added stuff and they changed the designs. It just uh, I don't know if that was a I don't know what kind of move it was, but right. it was dumb. Bad, bad, bad. 
Again, I'm sorry about having to wrap up this episode a bit early, but still we went for almost an hour and a half. Yeah, and, how are we ending this one? Um, let me think. Okay, so We better get so out of Linda, here before this, we ruin it for everybody. So, Linda, this episode will be up on the website in about two months. Okay. I do my episodes way in advance, but I'll certainly send you an email when the episodes are ready so you can link to them on your site. All right, great. Uh, yeah, be fun. sure and visit and Linda Kay's uh, website. Linda, again, thank you very much for doing both of these Bill & Ted episodes with us on the sequel cast. You are marvelous. You. you can visit her episode, her I can't speak her website, Bill and Ted's Excellent really good website by the way as well. Adventure at billandted.org. That's billandted.org. We'll have the link to that on the site. And uh, this is Uncle Milkshake, Linda K, Jersey Jason, and Thrasher saying we better get out of here before we ruin it for everybody. <laughs> That's pretty good. Now before we end. Thrasher, it is your duty to pick the next round of movies we cover in the show. What are Ooh. we going to do? Well, well. You've got well, to well, decide. Well, okay, uh, I, I know we've been saving it, but, you know, we might as well. Let's just go, let's plow straight ahead. Let's do Ghostbusters. Mm. Oh, cool. We have, to get, we have to get BJ on for that. We do, and I do want to talk about the video game as well. Well, very cool. Uh, thanks again, Linda, for doing the show. We'll let you know when it's up. Uh, do you have anything uh, to say at the last minute about Bill and Ted that we didn't cover in these um, several hours worth of podcasts we've done? No, I, I think you covered everything really well. I mean, I, I love this show. I was really excited to be asked to come on, and, and I, I think we covered everything most excellently. Alright, well thank you very much. I'm glad you do not have a bogus time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about the non-non-non, but I will wish you a non-non-non-non-non-bogus podcast. Excellent. Dang right. I love those double, triple, quintuple negatives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, station.